It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Just gone 12 midday Eastern Standard Time. And of course, that means the call here on Ausbiz, your only live streaming business and markets network. It's great to have your company for the next 60 minutes as we analyse 10 stocks suggested by you through the eyes of our two experts. What a treat you have today. We've got the dream team, the call dream team. Rudy Philippic van Dyke from FN Arena. Rudy, afternoon to you. After such an introduction, how can I not smile? <laughs> exactly right. But smile or smirking because does he believe me or not? Well, you will find out at the end of 60 Minutes with uh, uh, the sort of uh, analysis you're getting that it really is a great panel that we have on today. And of course, is partner in crime. Uh, Batman always had Robin. No, maybe that's a bad analogy. Claude Walker <laughs> from A Rich Life. How are you, mate? I'm well, thanks. I've been looking forward to this all day, so very happy to be here. Yeah. an interesting bunch of stocks. We've got an interesting bunch of stocks, and called our stock of the day, before we get into our, our 10 stocks, is one that uh, um, has really been a, um, a centre here on the call for quite some time. Of course, that's Kogan, um, the online retailer. It closed out a $100 million placement that it launched on Wednesday as the Aussie online retailer arms up for acquisitions and other opportunities in the wake of COVID-19. Kogan has seen a surge in sales during the lockdown um, as shoppers went online. With active, active customers now topping 2 million, Kogan now turns to retail investors for an additional 15 million through a share purchase plan as well. And share price up strongly again today, Claude. Uh, what do you think of the Kogan raise? Should you take up the share purchase plan? And should you get on board after a $100 million listing? Uh, raise, rather. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to think about here, plenty of food for thought. I guess the starting point for me is that, as you know, I do like this online retail theme. If you want to capture some of the joy to leave in the moment, uh, with lots of retail shareholders jumping on board and, and piling into stocks. At least Kogan was also growing prior to COVID, so you could argue that the pandemic has probably just accelerated what they were already doing well anyway. Having said that, uh, it's it's kind of strange to me to see them raising $100 million. A little bit surprising. They already had cash on the balance sheet. They'd already made a couple of very small acquisitions that they wouldn't have need to raise money for. And given, you know, they pay a business and essentially are making plenty of money, so they say at the moment, it's a little bit surprising to see them wanting to uh, tap the market for funds. And it makes me wonder if uh, the board thinks, you know, that even though things are going well at the company, the, sh the current share price is, is a little bit optimistic. Uh, having said that, onto the second part of your question about the share purchase plan, I think given that that's an opportunity to buy shares at $11.45 and the current share price is 
1365. It's a definitely a no-brainer to think about applying for, for shares uh, depending on your particular situation because there is an opportunity to, of course, sell shares high to that and then try and buy them back the same number of shares at a lower price. Of course, there are no guarantees and it's likely the SVP will be scaled back. Yeah, okay. So would you be a buyer at Kogan at these levels? Uh, definitely not. Not on the right. open market. But having said that, if I had the right to buy shares at a lower price, then I would definitely be trying to think about how okay. I can use that to my advantage. Right. Uh, but I'm not a holder and I'm not buying either. Okay, Rudy, what do you think of Kogan? Everything that Robin, I mean, Claude just said, uh, <laughs> I agree. Um, Maybe maybe something a few a few other things to point out. I don't want to repeat what Claude just said because I agree with pretty much everything he just said. Yeah. Um, after such a strong run up, and it's easy to think that this share price will only go up. I actually yeah. think there will come a time when it, it will come down again, and it will become uh, increasingly volatile. Because the big question mark is we have now this big push uh, in the share price and in their sales numbers, but yeah. um, it is likely at some stage there will be some moderation kicking in, and then the share price will will come down. Um, I don't own the shares, but I've been I've been telling investors for years now that I mean, you ask any teenager, and if they have some spare money, you, you ask them where they put their money. They are very much future focused. I mean, yep. they like the likes of Tesla, they like the likes of uh, I'm assuming Afterpay, Colgan, uh, because they much very much represent the future. Mm. Um, since five or six years, Australian investors no longer have to go to Europe or to the US to actually access or to Asia. I mean, we have them on the ASX. Yeah. I think Afterpay and Colgan very much represent the future in the, in the share market. But I, I don't own shares in any of them for, for two reasons. Um, one is um, they are on many, many occasions um, very, very popular. And for me, that I'm, I'm a little bit, I get a little bit uncomfortable when everyone <laughs> is buying the same stock. <laughs> and the other thing is, is the issue of governance. And um, I mean, at Afterpay, they seem to be handing out uh, shares and options like their Red Cross bonds at yeah. Easter. And with Kogan, um, the, the, the problem there was a little bit, he has in the past been propping up the share price in order to sell some shares. Now this time, they've he issued very opportunistically the rising share price and then raised some money because he's obviously right. going to buy companies. Right. I mean, Hang on, but uh, okay, I'll be the devil's advocate mm -hmm. here. You whinge on the call regularly yes. about companies raising money when the share price is down and, yes. and diluting yes. shareholders. Yes. So yes. here's Kogan, who's raising money when the share price is at oh, record yeah. levels yeah, 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 yeah. to yeah. Stop, stop the dilution. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I have no problem with that. But in the past, he used to, to he right. basically issued press releases to get the share price up. Yeah. And then he sold some, share, some shares. Right? Right. So that's okay. a little bit of a sour taste it's a there. a bit sharp. That's, well, you, you can call it like that. <laughs> I call it a lack of governance. Let's get into your stocks that you've sent us through, the, the 10 stocks that you'd like us to give an opinion on. The first one from John. Thank you for John, this, John. Claude, uh, John wants a view on Link Administration. It's a, a platform administrator, is it, a, to the superannuation industry, um, which uh, services, uh, this is from their website, uh, the fourth largest pension pool in the world based on funds under management. That sounds an yes. impressive number. Yeah, so actually I quite like the, uh, the fact that Link Administration has administration in the name because it, it really uh, gives you an idea of 
how they fit into the industry stack for funds management. And I'm sure some viewers would actually be familiar with having um, envelopes mm. from Link Administration yep. sent to them regarding their shareholdings. Um, having said that, uh, I have to say it's only really the, the value investor in me that uh, gets attracted to Link Administration, which I've sort of looked at in the past and ha has some characteristics that I like. But if we just sort of zoom out for a moment, it's actual the problem or the reason that its share price has sort of not been uh, going up very much over the longer term is because its earnings per share has been going down. Now, that's a combination of actually just having some business headwinds and also the fact that they divested uh, corporate private clients business uh, last year. And as a result of that, you know, it's got a, it doesn't really have a, a growth profile and therefore trades on a fairly low PE ratio of about 15 times uh, last half earning per share annualized. And I guess that's why I'm a little bit interested in it because I think the price is reasonably not too optimistic, but within Link, they have a uh, 44% ownership of PEXA, which is this property clearing administration stuff it, uh, and basically making the, the real property clearing process more digital, which is a process that is very stuck in the old paper ways. And I think, and that's been quite high growth for them. So I wonder if there's an opportunity uh, because uh, a good growing business is hidden within a larger business that's not really growing. Uh, and, and that's the, the pro for me. On, on the side that makes me cautious and, and not own it is they say that a lot of their recurring revenue is recurring around 80%. But I wonder if uh, as other businesses move into the new world and there's less uh, paper administration. I wonder if that will mean that they actually end up getting less revenues from those same services, even if they do adapt. Mm. So that's that's the thing I worry about with Link. Okay, so it would be a no for Link for you. Yeah, I I have to say no, but I do like the idea, and it is always on my watch list. It's definitely okay. one that I would consider buying. Mm. All right, Rudy. I think Claude uh, pinpointed it down. Um, if if you are interested in buying Link here, you do it for Pexa. Right. Pexa is pretty much a monopolist uh, in New South Wales here. Yep. Um, high margins, can't get around it. Uh, they have plans to float at least part of that business. Ah. So that's going to un unleash some, some, uh, some value. Some value uh, into um, one assumes that's, that's later in the year or next year. Yeah. Um, that's the positive side. The negative side, that's the reason why the share price hasn't really performed. I think it's one of those very promising businesses that d just didn't deliver. Mm. Um, not, cons not, not necessarily only their fault. I mean, they're, they're basically a service provider to large um, uh, fund managers, and they get paid by seat. So basically, every every uh, uh, oh, right. m every member, there's right. a few there's a few dollars or a few cents going to going to link. Okay. Now there's a few problems. So, there's a so few problems staff with members within the super yes. fund yes. sort of have it on their terminal and they pay a per terminal fee well, back to Well, put it this way, if, if, you, if, if anyone draws a wage from, from a business, 9.5% yeah. goes into a super fund. Yeah. If that super fund uses the service of uh, Link, then yeah. a little bit of, of that money goes to Link. Right. Part of your admin fee. Yes, yep. exactly. A few problems with that. Um, there's a lot of so-called sleeping memberships in there so from the moment that the ATO starts a campaign in reducing those and amalgamating that basically goes away from link right. that's money for them the other thing is is that they that recurring revenue they've always claimed that that's a very solid base for them 
the past few years have seen them losing some accounts. Ah. And plus the fact that that industry now is in consolidation phase. Mm. We will have in the, over the next 10 years, the hundreds of funds we have in Australia will, will, will move to tens. Yeah. Um, we don't know how that's going to pan out for Link. It just depends whether the, the leading fund acquiring the other one will use Link or will stay with Link. Yeah. There's a lot of question marks. Um, the other thing is, is that they do have a 25% a of their business is a registry business. Um, that business is very much under, under a big question mark because the ASX is moving to a, a ledger system oh, and, so um, yep. and that might en endanger the registry business, apart from right. the fact that there's more competition in there. Okay. Finally, these guys are now inquiring in Europe and um, that includes now funds management itself, so they are now a, an asset manager themselves in the UK, but more for me, from my perspective, more disconcertingly, they, part of the acquisition is actually, they're now a lender in countries like Greece. Oh. And that's, I'm thinking like, no, right. <laughs> exactly, <Okay. laughs> no. So I used to be a shareholder at, at, at one stage because right. I, I, I was catching up on that, on that widespread belief that this was a very solid, reliable yeah. Yeah. business, but it has not delivered on that at all. Not okay. completely to its own fault, right. but, for me, it's a no. Hasn't delivered and no. it's getting more confused and it's find and out what exactly. they do. And the profile is definitely okay. changing. All right. Okay, so a no for both on that, uh, John. Hopefully that uh, satisfies your suggestion. We've got Hub24 coming up later in this 10 too. Yeah. So similar sort of um, sector. Um, our second stock, uh, Rudy, let's get off this uh, with you. Julia sent this in. Nanosonics uh, mm. uh, has a... A, a disinfection technology for hospitals that disinfects sort of implements called Trophon. Mm. Um, an interesting little business. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you, you summarized it correctly. I mean, it's, I mean, Anasonics has, has been on my radar for, for, for a long time. Um, I guess my preference has been with ProMedicus. Right. Uh, so I'm a shareholder in ProMedicus, not in, in Anasonics, but that's almost like a personal preference because both are excellent companies and, right. and having high growth and all that. Um, the question mark with Nanosonics is, well, one thing is that Nanosonics taught me how medieval practices in hospitals are, and it's absolutely amazing, yes. Oh. Before they came along with, the, with their Trophon product, which basically yeah. is they disinfect uh, equipment after it's been used on patients like us, when right. you get an operation or anything, right. they have to disinfect it afterwards before they can use it on the, to the next guy. Previously, they were using something like 18 chemicals in a specific room somewhere at the back of the wow. hospital. Wiping them all down. Yes. I mean, so that's, that's wow. and then it had to dry for like a long time and all that. And exactly. So that's, that's a daily practice in the hospital. And then these guys come along and they have a little box and they go, just put it in there. And it's finished in a few minutes. Yeah? Wow. To my surprise, exactly. To my surprise, you would think like, why doesn't every hospital has this? They yeah. don't. Right? So that's surprise number one. The other thing is they are working on, on, a, on a second product because they're, they're one product company at the moment. Yeah. They're working on a second product and we haven't seen that yet. Right. But the, the, the excitement about that is already built in the share price. Oh. So I would actually caution here not to chase it up, up here right. um, and, and just wait for, I mean, a pullback will occur. Yeah. And obviously the obvious comment to make is when it pulled back uh, leading into March 23, uh, we should all have jumped on the share price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but excellent company. Um, okay. 
probably mm -hmm. best comparable with, with companies like a Cochlear and a ResMed, which are also in yeah. that devices, yeah. healthcare devices. Probably a bright future, but um, a lot of excitement built in. Okay. Claude, what do you think of nanosonics? I have to agree with most of, or pretty much everything that Rudy just said. I think he summarized that nicely. However, the, the one real point that I think I'd like to add is that I reminded myself this morning that the company very recently took over the distribution of its consumable products from the US and because of the time because of the timing of that I remember them previously mentioning that the full impact of this margin acid is only expected to be fully felt in the second half of uh, the current financial year and if I'd remembered that during the March sell-off I think I would have actually had the guts to be buying then uh, because it means, and I, I suspect that that's part of why you've seen it rebound so strongly, because there's good reason to believe that we'll start seeing improved economics in the business over the next 18 months, for example. So it's a fairly exciting time to hold it for that reason. Uh, and of course, if you're looking at the downside risk, it has, heap, it has heaps of cash. And of course, if you're looking at the upside beyond that, you've got the promise of a new product that's supposed to come in the next couple of years. We're not really quite sure when. Now, I would say that at the current valuation, we need that new product to do some heavy lifting, probably. Previously, at lower prices, you probably don't need any success in the new product. And, and that's why I actually regret not buying this one. Mm. And I was a holder for a very long time. I sold in early March because it was holding up so well and I thought I could deploy the capital elsewhere which is what I did but in hindsight actually it just has reminded me that once you have a good shareholding in a high quality company I probably would be a, a happier fellow if I just held on and held on for the ride so a seller's remorse on on my behalf for Nanosonics and I could definitely see myself buying back in if it dropped dropped down. All right, our third stock, uh, which Hal has sent in, uh, Baby Bunting, Australia's biggest baby goods store. Um, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know all about them. Um, everything from prams to strollers to car seats, furniture, Manchester. Uh, Rudy, baby, baby Bunting, good retailer or not? Um, yes, and it's in that enviable position that all these competitors have pretty much fallen by the wayside over the past uh, 18 months or so. Yep. So I don't know what Australians do when they get locked down for a few weeks in their homes, <laughs> but let's assume that maybe some of them had a little bit more love for each other than otherwise. <laughs> and these guys should, should have a booming business in nine months' time from now. Right. Anyway, they do have... I'm a little bit worried about consumer spending next year and the year after. Yeah. Um, but if you are in that particular segment for young babies and, 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 and infants, then I don't think consumer spending even if it declines yeah. or it doesn't grow that fast, will impact on your business a lot. So these guys, all else being equal, they, they, they should do well. Yeah. High margins, they have the whole territory for themselves. Um, I mean, a lot of that is probably already priced in, but nevertheless, I think, I'm not a big fan of retailers, yeah. but these guys should do well. Okay, so yes for you on Baby Bunting. Yes. Claude? Yeah, I could see this becoming sort of the JB Hi-Fi of its own segment. It just has a really good offering, and we've got a, a two-year-old ourselves, so it's not that long ago that I was frequenting baby bunting. Uh, having said that, it's it's bounced back a long way from 
from the peak prior and, and yes it will be resilient but I do what makes me a little bit nervous is I do wonder if uh, you might still moderate your spend in a recessionary environment so that so far their results are really good going through this uh, COVID situation so there hasn't and there hasn't really been any big impact on the retail expenditure given we've had job keeper and job seeker increase and so people have generally had money to spend on things yeah. however this will be sensitive to how the Australian economy goes in the next year or so. Having said that, there's still a lot of reason for optimism there now, given how well we seem to be managing things. So with a little bit of government support and not too much disease, it actually could be quite fine for these uh, retailers, especially if they've got a, you know, a good yeah. franchise or you know, a good brand. You're, 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 you're forgetting one thing, Claude, that is grandparents, okay? You've got a you've got a child. I bet you spend very differently on that child than your parents do. And speaking as a grandparent, we're the easiest to get conned by stores like this. Uh, is baby bunting a buyer or not? <laughs> not for me. Right. But it probably says more about me and my caution around retail. Okay. Uh, right. I actually do think this is. It's like Nick Scarly, JB Hi-Fi. There are a fair few good retailers yep. that we have and this is definitely one of them sure okay all right our fourth, fourth stock suggested by michael is costa group um our one of our biggest horticultural companies and major supplier to food retailers Ma claude ma mainly in that in berries and avocados and things like that is it yeah that's right so it does have a variety of different uh products that it sells which does give it some diversification by crop and of course then ge geography but you still do have these bad events that affect large swathes of australia so it is somewhat uh you know impacted by weather and and crop diseases and that kind of thing uh so within agriculture within those options it's quite good because it's got some diversification but you can't get away from that risk in agriculture that's the first thing i'd say the second thing i'd say is over the last few weeks, I have been hearing people voicing, you know, this sort of thesis uh, that uh, healthcare and uh, and food are good places to invest in. I guess because they're uh, not discretionary. However, I don't feel the same way about food. I think actually, uh, actually, food producers have such a difficult time of it that it's probably not the best place to invest if you want that theme. On top of that, you've got some, um, you've got the CEO retiring and a little bit of change at a board level, which makes me uh, you know, wonder how good the outlook is or if there's a, maybe a heightened risk right now, because sometimes you see uh, bad news come out after people leave. And uh, I guess the final point I'd say is that uh, although they do have growing techniques and knowledge in that regard, it's not completely obvious to me that they have any kind of moat. So as a result of that, for me, this one doesn't quite cut it in terms of business quality that's no fault of anyone running it that's just a, it's a tough business so i'd yep. avoid it all right mm. rudy what do you think because when you look at that five-year chart the last it's been ugly exactly it's been ugly. 12 months it got up to 869 or something yep. on the five-year chart and now just hovering around that three buck um area yes. so it was. It had a stellar, stellar performance. 2017, well, 18. Well, and it's it's, it's, it's very easy to pin it down. The the first the, the first two and a half years was the narrative since listing, and then the narrative became unstuck. 
Right. And I think Claude, again, it summarizes quite well. These guys listed with the narrative that their production was um, uh, not typical uh, subjected to weather and, and other conditions right. because they do a lot of under glass and, and yeah. so they, they took that away. But, and the market believed in that story for a very long time. But what then happened is they, they, they didn't take the seasonality and the cyclicality away on the supply side. So ah. they can't prevent their, their, for example, if the price for avocados is very high, they cannot prevent that everyone starts growing avocados. And that's exactly what happens. So what happens is they have a high price for berries for a while, and then the market gets flooded with berries. They have a high price for mushrooms for a while, and then the market is flooded with mushrooms. And so not only here, but from overseas. Oh yes, at, at one stage, it, like for example, they, they export to Europe, and at one stage, it all came from Morocco. Right. Um, and it just basically destroyed their business for a while over there, or their margins, I should say. Yeah. So it is that particular element, no mode, and your, yeah. co your competitors basically uh, define how much margin you can have, is the reason why I'm not in there in, in anymore anyway. I'm not sure whether I actually own the store at once, probably not. Right. But um, I, I'm not going there before because of that risk that they don't control, I don't control it, nobody controls it, and it can just happen any time. Yep. Yep, good point. All right, so I know on Costa Group. Um, Rudy, let's go to uh, mining base metals, uh, South 32. Simon has asked for an opinion on this. It was spun out of BHP, wasn't it, 2015? Basically, it's metals. It's mining. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it used to have a lot of coal, but it's, it's divesting that one. Right. So it's now it's uh, manganese, and um, uh, I think there's still some little bit of nickel in there. There's a little bit of silver in there as well. Right. Um, well, mining companies in general, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Um, I think at this point in the cycle, um, it would appear that the market for copper is, is tightening. So maybe you want to look in, in copper. And um, I, I still think that there's a fair amount uh, in, in upsetting gold. But for South 32, no, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan in, in general terms. And I think um, there's most people lose money in, in mining stocks and they stay on board for too long. Right. And you can see if, since listing, this share price has been incredibly volatile. Yeah. Um, so pick your times, and I'm not so sure whether this is the right time. Okay. Um, Rudy? Uh, sorry, Claude? That's right. Yeah, so this is a more a domestic-focused uh, mining company than you know some of the other big majors like BHP and Rio, arguably. Uh, it's smaller anyway, and uh, it doesn't it doesn't have you know massive exposure to a single commodity as uh rudy mentioned it has got diversity but it's almost like a parallel to a costa group in a way because while they both have diversity within you know what they grow or what they mine you still have this problem that are uh, their price takers and just as rudy was explaining the supermarket situation for costa group with the prices going up and down you've got the same situation for all of these different uh metals and uh mining uh products that South 32 is selling. So for the exact same reason as uh, I avoid Costa Group, and which is that difficult business model, I definitely avoid this kind of stock. On on top of that, I don't understand what, what's the what's the play with this kind of thing. It's always going to, because it is so diversified, it's going to be so much harder to time some sort of entry and exit that makes sense, at least with something that is purely an oil company or purely a... Uh, iron ore company you can try to pick 
some macroeconomic settings that could lead to massive gains in the equity because you've got all this sort of business leverage around the actual commodity. So for me, I don't understand what, what the driving force behind wanting to buy South 32 shares would be, other than I guess just that you were bullish mining in general, but mining's always been a tough business. So it seems like a losing bet over the long term to me. Okay. All right. So I know uh, from both Rudy and Claude on South 32, uh, that's halfway through the call. Uh, just to recap, um, Kogan was our stock of the day, really highly priced at the moment. I know from both Rudy and Claude, except if you've already got shares and you can buy them on the share purchase plan, you know, go for your life um, in bill. Uh, Link administration, no from Rudy, uh, no from Claude, but something to watch. Uh, Nanosonics, really good company, highly priced at the moment. Uh, basically got one product, another product on the way. Um, so a no from both Claude and Rudy. From Rudy, you know, he'd look at it on a pullback from Claude. Let's see how the, uh, the new product works out when it's eventually released. Uh, Rudy prefers ProMedicus at this stage. Uh, Baby Bunting, uh, a yes from Rudy, a no from uh, Claude, no from both on Costa Group and a no from both on South32. Let's kick off the, uh, the second half. And uh, Claude, IOOF, um, Greg has asked for an opinion on this. Financial services company, fund manager, investment manager, has a trustee business as well. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, I could imagine... Uh, the value investor having a look at this and thinking, oh, you know, maybe there's something here. But my problem with IOOF is that it reminds me too much of AMP, just one of those old world <laughs> financial services companies that is gradually getting less and less relevant. And this is the big bit that I would really focus on here is that they have fund under management outflows. And so essentially no, that that's is not good. the... Yeah, so they do. They've got an acquisition, right? To try and uh, there's acquisi acquisitive growth, but on an organic basis, they've got outflows. So for me, that's sort of like the tide is going out on this business, and they're trying to uh, keep it going. And on top of that, they have a bunch of debt. So I think it's too high risk for me. And just compared with other, even asset managers, I think we've talked before about Australian Ethical being my my favorite little yeah. one in that space. You know, I should have, instead of talking about that, I should have bought shares because that's just gone on a, a ridiculous run. I said it was expensive <laughs> and it's gone up another 20%. Um, but I definitely want to buy in this space. It's just super, it can be super volatile because it's leveraged to what markets are doing. And so I definitely want to buy the ones that have some sort of clear secular reason that they're growing because otherwise you'll just be uh, sort of floating with the markets, except if something bad happens, you get an outflow and then suddenly the business just gets even harder. Uh, having yeah. said that, it's just a, diff it's a difficult space. The stuff I like is too expensive and the stuff that um, is cheap, I just think that it's the long the long term is not my friend if I'm investing in IOOF. Okay. All right. Rudy, what do you want? I, I think, picking up on what, what Claude just said, I think you only want to buy fund managers if you're convinced that the value part of the market is, is going to perform. Now, we've seen that over the past month or so, um, but if you take a longer term view, then you will, you will find that almost none of them, from Perpetual to the, the former BT, Pendle, uh, you name it, they, they've all underperformed significantly. And there, there, there are very valid reasons for all of that. The short, the short one is that industry is so under pressure. Um, I mean, the big minus for IOOF 
is, well, apart from the well-documented, uh, very, very uh, nasty culture they had at one stage internally, didn't care much about uh, their customers. Um, the other part is they bought the fund management business from ANZ. Now, at one stage, I actually had some money there myself, and that business um, was one of the worst performing in the sector over a very long time and charging very high fees for consistent underperformance. Um, which is characteristically for that business because you can, you can make similar arguments for, for um, MLC at NAP, you can simil similar arguments for AMP. This is an industry under significant pressure. Yep. Um, can they charge high fees and for yes, for how long? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so you can see the pressure just building. In the short term, that may not necessarily be, be a big thing because at first they will, they will take out a lot of costs out of that business and then have synergies, and, but yeah. it'll come to the fore at some stage. It'll be the question mark how they can tackle that and how, how they can tackle that through the other operation of the business, the, the, the financial planning and et cetera. But for me, there's just way too many question yeah. marks. And I don't like that, that that whole sector for that particular reason. Yeah. I mean, we're all buying it ETFs these days. Right? It got very bloated. Well, yeah, know, for starters, exactly. You know, yeah. high cost levels. And it's a bit like our superannuation industry at the moment. I, I was reading a story the other day saying our superannuation funds were going to have to increase their administration fees because of the withdrawals out of superannuation. Yeah. Um, funds which is, coming which is, out. Which is and, ridiculous. I mean. yeah, right. exactly. and, and my view was, well, why don't you cut your costs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Don't pass it on yeah. to, to your mug yeah. investors. Yes. Just cut your costs like everyone else is having to do. The, I think the big elephant in Australia is that we, are, we all know we have too many funds. Yeah. I mean, there are too many managers around. I mean, and many of them are way too small, cost levels too yeah. high. We all know this, the authorities know this, the government knows this, the industry itself knows this. It's just that who's going to do something about it at some stage? Yeah, exactly right. And don't <laughs> do it by increasing admin fees, go through the rationalisation. They all got a bit lazy because 9.5% of our salary goes in o there all the automatically. time. Automatically. Yeah, exactly yes. right. It's a river of gold for them. All right, so a no for IOOF. As you can see, it's a bit of a hobby horse of Rudy's eye <laughs> <laughs> on this whole sector. So I think we as investors, have been diddled for years and Absolutely. years and years. Um, all right, our seventh stock, uh, Claude. Marcia has asked for an opinion on this. Handsome Technology, another tech company, software and services, but focusing on that energy, water, communications industry, they, they basically manage the accounts of utilities, don't they? Uh, their platform. Yeah. Yeah, so they help with the... Uh I think they're at least the best part of their business is helping with utilities and other people. Uh, I think they had a pay TV provider at one point uh, doing the billing to their customers. So the advantage of this sort of business line is that it's always very sticky if you've got the billing systems because people don't want to interrupt the billing systems because that interrupts their own yep. cash flow. Now, this is I was happy to see this one come up because this is actually one of the first companies that I ever analyzed and bought you know, almost 10 years ago now. And I think it had a share price around 60 to 80 cents at the time. And back in those days, valuations were far less stress, stretch and it had, you know, massive net cash and was basically saying, we will use our cash to make acquisitions and grow EPS in that fashion. And at that time, the Australian dollar was very strong. So they were able to buy overseas business priced in US dollars uh, that then 
uh, they, they bought fairly well with cash, which has increased their earnings, which increased their earnings even more where they had overseas customers in the Australian dollar, uh, which used to be over a dollar US for a little bit then, has come back down. And that made it look like it was growing organically. And it just kept doing that. And it put on more and more debt and it kept on acquiring. But the magic stopped and the, the acquisitions didn't um, have that price arbitrage where they were able to buy them more cheaply off the price uh, off the private market. So that growth kind of stopped, and you've seen in the last half, it's actually the actual EPS. You know, I'm sure they've got their excuses for why it's temporary, but the actual EPS dropped by like 42%. So it's no real surprise that it's trading on a modest uh, multiple of earnings. But I wonder if, it, if that is even justified, and I actually don't think mm. it is. So this is the kind of company I would absolutely buy if it was at the right price because it generates free cash flow and it probably will for many years. But in the absence of exciting growth and also with, you know, a basically weaker balance sheet than it used to have, it's just not interesting to, I just can't get interested in it basically and I wouldn't own hmm. it. Really? I too was shareholder a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> and I sort of every, pretty much agree with what Claude says. This business has, this is always how it is promoted. It has a lot of recurring revenue. I mean, it, it, I mean the utility bill you get at home Right? Yeah. AGL or Origin saying like you need to pay this amount for this quarter. That's basically the software what they do. Right. So, so that's generated yeah. by them basically. But so, so the consistency and the recurring revenues from customers and the stickiness that's that's the pro, but it doesn't translate into a lot of growth for them themselves. Yeah. So in the past there have been a lot of acquisitions uh, and and when the acquisitions dry up there's not much in terms of growth. In my view the best way to judge a company is that in 2008, which I remember quite quite clearly, they paid seven cents in dividends for shareholders. Yep. Today they pay six, and we are in 2020. Yeah? So there's a few analysts that cover this stock. Uh, at least one of them is getting excited now. They think there's sort of like an acceleration coming. If that is correct, I'm inclined to think it'll be it'll be a one-off temporary thing. I mean, at some stage they might pay out seven cents in dividends, which is great if you, if you have been receiving six over the past few years, yep. but it's still the same level as 2008. It's yep. not great. So, yep. right? yeah, it's not a great combination. Don't get excited. All right. So uh, no excitement, Marcia, for uh, Handsome Technologies. Um, Rudy, what about Blue Scope Steel? Now, it says it's, I'll give you the company description, a flat product steel producer with resources coming in from New Zealand, Pacific Islands, North America, and Asia. Okay. Having said that, it's the people who do colour bond. So exactly. <laughs> so exactly. That, that's all you need to know about, exactly. about the company. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to show my age here. I still remember the day they spun off from BHP. Ah, right. Um, these are the guys that used to be in uh, in Newcastle. Right. Yep. Um, to to characterise this business, I mean, they are in Asia, in China, they are in the US, and the US yep. has been the, the 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 profit grower. I mean, they are still produced in the US. I mean, they have a fixed business, and that means that really works both ways. I mean, in bad times, they have a high cost level, and yep. that means the profits really go to nothing. And in in better times, the leverage kicks in. Um, globally, the conditions for steel manufacturers at the moment are improving. Yep which probably means um, if, if there is a time to buy them, uh, this might be a time. Mm -hmm. But the warning is there that be, be careful because the slightest change in that dynamic can put the share price under a lot of pressure. I mean, right. if, you, if you look historically at the share price, it's massive. Right? Yeah. Like 
Wrong timing means you're going to lose a lot of money. Okay. Uh, right timing, you can make a lot. Right. And it's one of those it's one of those stocks. For that reason, not necess- not not something I would right. put in my portfolio. Okay. But I mean, you can definitely take a punt here because apparently, um, despite the fact that uh, iron ore prices are persistently high, it would appear that the overall dynamics for steel manufacturers are on the up here. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Temporarily, temporarily a yes. All right. <laughs> temporarily a exactly. yes. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Claude. So this one seems to come up a few times. I think it was maybe only a week or two ago that we were chatting about it before. It fascinates me why people are so focused on uh, this kind of business. It just seems like a really difficult uh, spot for a retail investor to get any kind of advantage. Now, I agree with everything uh, Rudy just said, except for one small thing, which is that I have no knowledge of how to play this kind of cyclical business very well because I try to focus on high quality growth stocks that have a secular theme. But I would have thought that probably the time you want to buy it is when things are really looking bad for uh, steel producers. Of course, then you risk the whole thing just goes bankrupt. But if you are sure that it's not going to go bankrupt, then maybe if you buy when things are bad, you you could sell when things are good. Right now, with the share price having enjoyed you know, reasonably, reasonable strength. I think we must ask if things are going to keep being better for this this kind of operation or or worse. And I think the probably the short-term prognosis is better because one of the easiest and most productive ways that governments can stimulate economies is by getting people to build things. So that that could be good. Yeah. Uh, having said that, I guess as I've covered, it's just it's too difficult to, to invest in this for the long term for me. Sure. Okay. Uh, is Hub24 an easier thing for you to invest in, uh, Claude? This is a suggestion from Richard. It's uh, investment and superannuation platform. Um, yeah. Administration, is this a bit like Link? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't categorise it like Link. I think it's probably less diversified, more uh, like sort of newer age and more of a beneficiary of uh, sort of funds administration allowing uh, financial advisors to administer their clients and put them in and out of funds. And where they've been benefiting is, I guess, as the, uh, I guess, oligopoly of a few small uh, financial service, uh, sorry, a few large financial service providers, such as, you know, Commonwealth Bank and AMP and all those guys, as the market's being fragmented, there's more room for these independent um, administrators and platforms such as Hub24. And it definitely is an easier one for me to buy shares in to the extent that I have actually owned shares in it briefly myself. Unfortunately, I missed the real opportunity to buy, which I think was when it was just taking taking off. Yeah. And in that chart we're looking at now, way back five years ago, it wasn't even profitable. You know, it was losing money. It was saying, don't worry, we're going to grow, we're going to grow, we're grow. Then it actually did become profitable. So there's a couple of ways to win there. And Although I don't own shares in it, I do think it's definitely in the kind of company that you could do well with and it's worth watching. Okay. All right. You wouldn't be buying at 11.41? Uh, no, but I, but that's more just because I'm a little bit cautious of this uh, exact industry yeah. and you've got the lower ones that haven't been performing well and the ones up the like net wealth has done sort of rather well and hubs done rather yeah. well. So I'm wondering whether it's company specific or if it's actually just quite a yeah. difficult industry and they've been lucky so far. Yeah, Rudy? Now that we are on name dropping, explore wealth and premium, uh, this same sector. Ah. So 
to get to get to your question earlier, Link gives administration to the funds itself. Yeah. These guys offer a platform where those funds are represented, and you can decide to put your money with them. Right. So that's 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 a different sector. These guys, if you look closely at the, at the price chart of Hub, you will find that the share price essentially hasn't moved since late 2018. Yeah. Um, the reason for that is is that while they get all that post Royal Commission in the banking sector, a lot of money is flowing out out of the likes of uh, NZ and, and, and AMP and, and, and CBA and, and NAP. And it is going to that sector. A lot of, it, it's, the industry is changing in that, in that respect. Now, that for a while was free money for those guys and the share yeah. price just kept on going up. But the margins are under pressure. And this is why, for example, Hub hasn't moved in two years the share price. I mean, it goes up and up and down every day, yeah. but on a strict, strictly taken, it hasn't moved over that period. And that's because the margins are under pressure. The competition is kicking in. Uh, okay. the, the free money is made, basically. But no doubt, the funds flow will continue to go into that sector because ultimately, the, the market share they have is quite small in Australia, which shows mm. you how previously how concentrated the market was. The likes of AMP basically had, had that whole yeah. market to themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with Claudia, I'll, I'll be more cautious. Right. Uh, but I do think that trend is going to continue. And we shouldn't forget that where the likes of Hub and NetWealth are winning, there's a lot of others are, are losing. Who, who aren't. Okay, all right. So a note for Hub 24. Um, Rudy, our final um, um, or stock, it's really an ETF, uh, suggested by Miles. The Vanguard MSCI Index International Shares. You're making me sad now because it's making me realise it's almost over. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. But you're not yes. a huge fan of ETFs, are you? Um, Except the gold ones, which are... No, no, I, I can, I can I mean, we've discussed it earlier. But, um, if I, when I get questions from people like, what should I do? Should I buy individual shares or ETFs? And I, I, I sort of sense they're not really knowledgeable or experienced. My initial response is almost every time, why don't you go for an ETF? Yep. I mean, you, don't, you risk hmm. I mean, less, essentially. Yep. And also, we've, we've been discussing the fund managers earlier. I mean, these ETFs are 0.18 in costs. Yeah. Right? The, the average fund manager charges us a lot more. So is this a good one more. For inter- if you're looking at international shares? See, I would say no. Right. Uh, I had a look at this one. Um, it, it's, it sort of doesn't cover what it says it does. Right. If you look closely into it, Two-thirds is essentially U.S. shares. There's 8% in Japan, and the rest is in Europe. And you're buying international shares. So where's Asia? Where's Latin America? It's not in there. So that, for me, is already the weakness. The other point to make is that usually, and we've seen that this year as well, the Japanese share market and Europeans, you only only want to be there at certain times. And usually the past years have not been that time. Yeah. So what, what you're basically doing is you, you, you're diluting the excellent performance from the U.S. by declaring yourself, I'm investing globally. Right. You might as well go for different type of ETFs and pick the U.S. Yeah. when you want to have, have exposure yeah, to, to a specific a, country. One exactly. And, and if there comes a time that you want to have exposure to Japan, Asia or, or Europe, you, you pick those specific uh, ETFs, ETFs instead yeah. of trying to talk yourself into that. I'm international now, but you're actually yeah. not. You're not. Okay. Um, Claude? I generally agree with that. I think that you're always going to get that kind of answer when you ask active stock investors about a, a really broad <laughs> ETF, though. Uh, I will say my experience seeing someone use this ETF would, was a colleague that would just once a week buy some shares in this particular ETF. 
And I guess for him, it was almost just not expressing a view, just saying, oh, I'm just going to put my uh, money into the market. Now, that's definitely goes against the grain for me. But I think it's this is an effective mm. way of doing that, more or less. Yeah, okay, it's not really international, okay. it's not really global, but it's probably one of the closest low-cost ways of expressing that view, just that you want to invest in, in capitalism, I guess. Keep, it, keep in mind that the biggest holdings here are and the ones that driving performance are Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and, and Facebook. And my guess is that if you actually just bought those five, you'd do better <laughs> off than buying yep. sure. this index. Yep. And, and it's not too hard for someone to buy five stocks. No, exactly right. And considering what Apple um, first American company to be valued at one and a half trillion US dollars overnight. Fast, I know, exactly. Just extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, Claude, great to see you. Really appreciate your time. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Go and visit the website there and get involved. It really is worth it. And Rudy Philippek Van Dyke from FN Arena. Likewise, FN Arena, a great spot to go if you uh, want constant investment uh, markets coverage and of particular stocks. Great to have you both on the call. Uh, just to recap the last five stocks, uh, what were they? Start off with IOOF and no. Hanson Technology and no. Blue Scope, uh, Colorbond manufacturers, no from uh, Claude, a temporary. Yes from Rudy, just to see how it goes. Uh, Hub24, uh, no from Rudy. Claude is saying uh, he'll be watching it. And the Vanguard International Shares ETF, no. Go for country specific or just directly into the American stocks. If you'd like um, any suggestions to put to our expert panel here on the call, uh, email them in the call at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter using the handle at ausbiztv. <laughs>